Hello and welcome back to Government Technology Insider. In today's world, the threat of cyber attacks has become a critical part of any discussion about how to make a robust cybersecurity plan. With looming threats from foreign and other unidentified cyber actors, federal organizations today must work to prevent attacks when they are able to and respond to attacks that occur quickly and effectively. Cybersecurity is not a new focus for the federal government, but with bad actors becoming more vicious, the government is taking a hard look at how they protect their most valuable data. Today we are continuing our conversation with Cameron Sherry, CTO and VP of Pre-Sales Engineering at Dell EMC Federal, about the future of government IT and defense cybersecurity. When we last left off, Cameron and I were in the middle of a discussion on what agencies are currently doing to meet the stipulations of recent cybersecurity executive orders from both the previous and current administration. Right, so I mean obviously there's a lot of work being done to bring those, you know, seven cybersecurity principles that you just outlined into the conversation, you know, when these agencies are considering or working towards their their new vision for cybersecurity. Um, you know, but beyond that, is there anything else out there that they can be doing to, you know, prepare to meet these expectations, to meet these demands, to meet these deadlines you know, in your perspective? So some of the other things agencies are exploring to be able to, to leapfrog into these modern capabilities are things like software-defined infrastructure and software-defined data centers. There are some unique advantages as agencies are moving to this. And if you notice, I didn't say cloud, although these are the technologies that underpin cloud, cloud really has become more of an operating model. And so these agencies that have embraced software defined, they're able to do some really advanced, sophisticated things very easily with their current workforce. Things like micro-segmenting the network more efficiently and effectively. So when I focus on that pillar that talked about network, uh, that we, we use the terms transport and session trust, it gives me the opportunity to segregate my network and say, okay, as users come into the enterprise, let's say they're a user that is a budgetary based person on a program uh, working in a very specific department. Well, maybe I only need to give them access to financial applications and maybe email. Right, email becomes kind of like a common, I'll call it a birthright service. You have to have it to communicate for collaboration on the network. Or they're an HR person. So maybe they don't need access to finance, but they might need access to payroll to ensure to do a rich job on how they execute HR in those environments. So you begin to see this people process technology thing emerge quite um, robustly within the in the agencies and then leveraging software defined capabilities is allowing them to create an inherently more cyber secure environment using software and infrastructure as code to be able to really drive towards this uh, zero trust principle or zero trust strategy as quickly as they possibly can. Well, you know, just, I guess, to so we can really hammer this down, um, you know, obviously it sounds like one of the, the biggest recommendations you have for you know, the question of how can an agency bolster their cybersecurity postures, really embrace that, that zero trust perspective. Can you explain just for us, uh, you know, what your perspective on the zero trust approach is? You know, what what is it? Uh, you know, what, what's the best recommendations for it? And are there any examples that you could share, you know, just kind of help illustrate, you know, why this is so important, how useful it could be? Sure. It, you know, it, it's fascinating, Kevin, um, for, for many years, current thinking in the cybersecurity world really has been rooted in, um, I'll call them kinetic security principles, like physical world 
security principles that quite frankly go back as far as uh, jolly old England and a castle and moat type of strategy. And, and what I mean by that, although it's a bit jovial, it, the truth still exists. In cyber, when you look at the way people set up, say, remote access for users or access into the network, the current or legacy thinking was once a user was authenticated at, let's say, my, uh, my bridge or gate that's protected by my moat, and I go, oh, that's John Smith or Sally Mae, I'm letting them into the castle. And at that point, the legacy thinking was, well, then I'll give them access to everything so that they could perform their job because I really didn't have a good profile of what their role was. Were they a, a cook? Were they a knight? Were they a archer? What was their role so that I can arm them with the appropriate tools and capabilities to be able to perform their job? So literally that was the, the thinking. We refer to it a lot as the castle emote principle. In today's world, because we can do things uh, more quickly with greater agility in a software-defined infrastructure mindset, I can take that same principle, but say, wait a minute, the same John Smith or Sally May I let into the castle, I may want to stop them at the lobby. And I may want to say, oh, John Smith, you're an archer. So the only thing you need is a bow and an arrow. And I'm going to show you very prescriptively how to get to the top of the castle to defend it. Sally May, oh, you're a, a nurse. You're here to provide some health care to somebody. Well, you need tools and access to those pers person's health records, which, by the way, comes with a compliance mechanism. So I have to validate who you are so that you can have uh, viable access to those records and that you handle them with the appropriate HIPAA high-tech requirements. So I'm only going to give you access to those systems. And by the way, the infirmary is to the right here. That's all I'm going to let you into. So although these examples are colorful and they're, they're interesting, but they're easy to follow, because as we apply those principles to the enterprise, it's the same application. It's about uh, assuming um, everything is corrupt, the data, the applications, et cetera, and the user, you, you are validating the user in steps along the way so that once they get into your remote firewalls, your DMZs, or your RAS setups for remote access, you are then articulating very prescriptively what tools and what data they have access and what applications they have access to that are specific and suited for their role. Absolutely. I mean, as a, a bit of a fantasy nerd myself, I, I appreciate the comparison and the analogy. Um, but it does really illustrate the point well that, you know, Zero Trust isn't isn't a product. It isn't a solution that you can, you know, purchase and, and kind of cross it off your list. It's, it's a whole of agency approach to thinking about cybersecurity. And you apropos said, Kevin, it's it's not a silver bullet. <laughs> we, we like to look for those a lot in technology and hopefully, oh yeah, if you just buy this one tool, uh, it'll solve all your problems and serve you a hot latte in the morning at exactly 104 degrees. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It, it is um, a set of principles you have to abide by. It is a combination of software and how software integrates with hardware. And it is about understanding the demographic of your user community. So I think that that's really the, the clearest way to explain like the principles behind Zero Trust and what we're doing with that in the software-defined world. Our conversation continued as Cameron pivoted towards explaining the role that Zero Trust can play in safeguarding valuable data and whether a Zero Trust approach could be a part of the answer to government security worries. 
But to hear the rest of Cameron's thoughts on the matter, you're going to have to tune in next time, because that is where we're going to leave off for today. Please go to Government Technology Insider to learn more about how the latest technology is influencing, impacting, and improving the ability for government to get work done. I'm Kevin Tierney, and until we talk again, so long.